What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Barbells and Trails podcast. I am your host, Brett, back with episode 31. We're here. I'm fucking with the mic way too much. We're here yet again, another week. I'm going to get straight into it this week. I got a few topics. I'm just going to go. Deji versus Mayweather. Ridiculous to begin with. Those words are coming out of my mouth, honestly. Uh, I would have never thought that Deji would be fighting Floyd Mayweather. Uh, I love Deji. He's a like I've watched him or at least know of him for years. I've supported his boxing over the past four years. I did think getting this fight in general was like bonkers. I couldn't believe it. Uh, it, it it's very very surprising. I know it's an expo- exposition fight. Kind of like when Logan Paul fought Floyd, but it just it, w- it was weird. I I watched. I was I did not pay for the pay per view. Honestly, I'm kind of happy because I watched the highlights. Uh, n- the the next day, it was not worth it. The fight was. I have to admit, I was disappointed. Thank God I did not pay for that fight. Otherwise, I would have been. Uh, I guess in a worse mood, but um. It was interesting. I mean, I know it was an exposition, exposition, expedition fight, but there was like nothing necessarily on the table. It was kind of a win-win for both of them. Deji loses, Floyd makes some money, and then uh, and if Deji loses, he gets to say that he stepped into the ring with Floyd Mayweather. So there's not necessarily a downside for him, which I get. That's still cool. But when I was watching it, I was just very, uh, I mean, I get it. He's fighting one of the best boxers in the world, but I was kind of disappointed. I was really hoping that Deji would actually kind of try being more aggressive. I know who, like, I get who he's fighting, but even for the entertainment value to kind of actually maybe try proving himself. I thought it would have been really good to see him, him go for it. I, uh, cause I remember when Floyd and Logan fought and I even looked back at their fight to compare and Logan actually tried. You can like, there was actually punches thrown in either direction to basically so that Floyd didn't necessarily look like he was getting walked over by someone that was 40 pounds heavy, or 30 pounds heavier than him. Which already that probably wouldn't happen, obviously, in a normal boxing division. But it was just with Deji, it was, I, I don't know, it was just really random. I think, I think, what, especially when I saw Floyd kind of dancing and fucking around with him and toying with him, I was like, okay. In my eyes, when I see this, I was like, Floyd doesn't, I don't think, respect you as a fighter. And you're not necessarily proving it right now because you're not being aggressive. No offense to Deji. I think I think it's cool that he was able to step in with the with Floyd to begin with. But I do think that Floyd kind of make made him look like a jackass. Because at least at the end of the fight with Logan, he, he did say like, hey, like respects to him. And both of them were actually like sweating like a motherfucker. Actually had to put in some work and it's kind of surprising considering it's a expedition fight and there there's no 
nothing really on the line. Like, there's not, like, Floyd's reputation is on the line. Like, if it was a real fight, he wouldn't want to, like, fuck up his record so he would fight his fucking heart out to be sure he won. And so I think with these expeditions, it's just, it's it's weird because it's just like a money grab for Floyd. Hey, you got to make your money. I don't give a fuck what you do, but I just feel... I just feel like it didn't look great for Deji. It's cool that he could say he stepped in the ring with him, but as a performance and the amount of work he did, I was kind of disappointed. I was hoping he would have tried being more aggressive just to kind of even put on a show and and try to earn Floyd's respect, and sadly, I don't think he did it. Uh, so it, it was interesting, but I'm, I'll be honest, I'm glad that I did not purchase that pay-per-view. So, that one is what it is, but, you know, we, we move on. Uh, so, I, there's a new, there is a new TV show on Netflix, just released Thursday. I've already finished it. Wasn't super long, so it's not like this is some crazy thing. It's called Ancient Apocalypse. If no one knows who Graham Hancock is or Randall Carlson, this has to do with them. More Graham Hancock. So, this was an interesting show to begin with. The whole reason I found out about it was listening to uh, Joe Rogan. And, it, I, okay, so I've, I've heard of Graham Hancock before. As I got into that podcast with them on... I remembered that I had listened to him on the podcast like two years ago, and I already found his hypothesis very interesting. He's an archaeologist and a journalist and a writer, and it was very interesting, the stuff he was saying, basically pointing towards the fact that there is a very high chance of a lost civilization that we don't know about that was lost to history and he explains why he explains uh what happened to them as best as he can and he explains his reasoning behind a lot of it he has several books i think one's called fingerprints of the gods another one's america before i think that's his most recent one i do want to read both of these books but his whole idea was that there was some advanced civilization uh, around the time of the Ice Age and before that we just didn't know about. And to mainstream historians, that would be a, a very ridiculous statement. And then he kind of explains, and slowly but surely, he's been preaching this, for, this hypothesis for years. And it isn't until I think basically 20, in the 2010s there was proof towards it. And it was called the Young Adrius Impact Theory. And that there is evidence to show geologically that about 12,500 years ago in geological samples, core samples, that there is a black mat. And it's known as an extinction uh, level in in the soil 
And if you look, it has nuclear glass. So where something got hot enough, the soil got hot enough to melt into glass on the surface. And the reason it's called nuclear glass is because only times we have physically witnessed it was after nuclear explosions. And the only other evidence of this in the past is from meteor strikes and stuff like that hitting hitting the earth. So this was one of the first things to point towards some crazy cata, uh, apocalyptic catastrophe in history that could have wiped out a civilization. Something else that actually helped point towards his hypothesis was the discovery of Gobekli Tepe in Turkey. I don't totally know when this was found. I think it was about 10 years ago. And when this was dug up and discovered, they were able to actually find carbon dating back to almost 12,000 years ago. And at that point in time, when it came to archaeological digs and megalithic structures and these giant stone carvings and these chambers, nothing had been dated back that far at this point in the mainstream. And this was the first time that physical evidence pointed to something being built that far back in history. I mean, at the moment, real quick, guys, I just want to take your attention just for a minute, one minute. I just want to remind you, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and click that bell icon so you're notified when new videos come out. Be sure to leave a comment, like the video, check me out on all other platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all others. But be sure to subscribe. Now let's get back into the podcast. Mainstream... Uh, archaeologists and historians say that the Sphinx and the pyramids are only 4,000 years old. That one might, the pyramids could be more likely, but it could be older, uh, especially the Sphinx. But it's hard to carbon date if something's as old as it is and it's made of stone because you need organic matter to carbon date. So that's that's like one of the big challenges when it comes to these old megalithic structures and trying to find out its true date most archaeologists are making guesses and so it's it's one reason why his theory in general is so intriguing and when i first heard it to me it made so much sense to me it made a lot of sense because i have always thought especially seeing some of the work in peru and some of these giant pyramids these megalithic structures these blocks to me i always felt like there was some i mean obviously this was built but it's like how because it doesn't physically make sense for native americans natives in south america to to be able to create these structures by hand at least not um when we're thinking within the past couple thousand years it doesn't seem physically possible. And it always seemed like there, 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 had, there was some missing piece. There was some missing information. And also to me, it made sense in the sense, it made sense that there could be something else because anatomically correct humans 
as we are today have been around for 300,000 years. They were saying that basically civilization and humans haven't really done shit until about 20,000 years ago originally, if that. And to me, I find that hard to believe because it's like you think that everything in history has been done in 20,000 years. What about the extra 280,000 years before that? What were what was going on? There has to be something. And two, we can barely fill in the facts from something that was actually written about 500 years ago because either information was destroyed or history is written by the victor and it's hard to get true information on historical events. How the fuck are we supposed to know what the hell truly happened 4,000 years ago, 7,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, or anything beyond? There's such, we don't know about 95% of human history. So to me, it made sense that there could be something else that basically happened. And his theory helped prove that in my mind. And I, I, I believe the stuff he talks about, it makes a lot of sense. So he just created this show on Netflix called Ancient Apocalypse. Basically, this TV show breaks down him traveling across the world, pointing towards evidence that certain cultures and uh, structures are very possibly older than they are. Going from Indonesia to uh, Bahamas to watch, oh shit, to look at the Bim. Bimini Road, uh, to Mexico, Turkey, uh, where else did he go? He went to, he went to Ohio, um, basically looking at all these things and realizing that there is a theme between these cultures and certain historical events. There's, there's information that for some reason is sprinkled together that doesn't necessarily add up for what we know pointing towards something else that was lost. And one of the things that is very in interesting and makes a lot of sense is that every culture around the globe has a story of a great flood where human civilization had to restart and begin anew. And he believes that there is possibly that this isn't just a story, that there is actual human memory passed down. I, mean, I guess it is a story, but human it is it is an ancient human memory that was passed down from generation to generation that ended become ended up becoming the myths we know today. Not only that, but he looks into the cultures and foundational stories to a bunch of different indigenous people from different cultures around the world most point to some person or being or god or giant showing up and teaching them the ways of civilization how to grow crops how to 
uh, engineering, how to build temples, how to uh, study the stars and astronomy. A lot of these cultures have something or someone that ends up teaching these hunter-gatherer societies how to become a civilization, giving them the the blueprints to become some of the civilizations we know today. And it could sound like myth. And it's just, it's to me, it's fascinating because it's like when you have something like that happening all across the globe, doesn't matter where you are, and there's these, it's like when you go to a, in a movie and someone's trying to, like in a Deadpool when he's trying to figure out Francis, he's trying to find Francis and he has uh, like the, the, the big wall full of pictures and then strings and pins and then strings tied here like this is connected to this and this is connected to this imagine that with dots all around the world to all these societies all of them having floods and some founder uh basically teacher that started the civilization it's like all these things tie together oh i just punched the mic <laughs> all of these things tie together how like why like and so it's very 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 fascinating so he basically thinks that there was something before and something else that blew my mind which i guess i never would have thought of so antarctica wasn't officially discovered until about 1820 but if you look on a map i cannot remember the map's name i'm not that nerdy Look on a map that was made in 1513. There is some form of continent or coastline on the southern edge of the globe. Doesn't make sense because at this point, no one has discovered it. The creator of this map in particular was in Istanbul. And he wrote that he used 20 older original maps as information and input along with new discoveries today to create this map. His map was very interesting. There's only one third of the map left. The rest was lost to history. And it's basically part of the eastern part of North America and South America and part of, I think, Africa. So it's already interesting to have that. But, like, the Bahamas, not not the islands we know today. There's an actual larger island that is not there. Not only that, but there is a southern continent of some sort. And it doesn't make sense because it looks like South America goes down and then keeps continuing. And for some reason, archaeologists today say that, the, oh, the only reason that's there was he ran out of room so the map maker decided to change his direction for South America. And it's just a continuation of the continent. I'm not, I'm not a scientist, but if I was making a map that wouldn't make sense, I would restart, either draw it smaller, or go get a bigger piece of paper. <laughs> and I know that's a very dumb explanation, but I mean, that's kind of true. So if you actually put a projection 
of what Antarctica would have looked like 12,000 years ago, the ice caps, both the southern and northern ice caps, would be a lot farther towards the equator than they are now. It's called the Ice Age. That's why. And if you would place that map over the renders of ancient Antarctica, the map basically perfectly aligns where the ice caps would have come into Argentina all the way up north into South America, and it would have looked like one continual coastline. And if that's the case, someone must have circumnavigated the globe over 12,000 years ago to map this out. And it's, it's crazy to think about. Now, you're probably wondering, Brett, what the... Okay, so you're telling me all this information, but you're not explaining where this ancient civilization is. What the fuck happened? Why doesn't more people know about this? Whatever. I'm going to get to that right now. So... To begin with, Graham Hancock has been looked down upon in the archaeologist community for about 30 years. I didn't know who he is until recently. His original book came out in the 90s, but nobody's wanted to believe his shit because I feel like part of it is scientists, to an extent, are very arrogant in their beliefs. They don't want to be proven wrong. They've been teaching and studying so much that basically a discovery like this would rewrite the history books and change what we know of human history forever. I think that's one reason. So a lot of times certain studies, certain samplings, certain archaeological, fuck, digs, certain digs, certain excavations, certain tests don't happen because they just don't want to deal with it on the hypothesis of the reason behind it might say that something's older than it is. They just don't want to fuck with it. Which sucks because it takes a lot of information from the mass and trying to find out the truth. But the thing is, Earth rotates around the sun. We all know this, right? It goes, woo, sun. I can't go around my fist because there's arms. Sun, there we go. Sun, Earth. Goes in a circle, oval, sort of. It's, it's in a shape. Apparently, there is a ancient comet would have been massive that is broken up and at one point it has its own orbit that crosses ours twice a year around june and the end of october and these basically point to all the information points to that there was some global catastrophe 12,500 years ago and the cause from it was major flooding, thousand years of freezing, basically global warming compared to what it was then, and causing sea levels to rise over 400 feet. That's a lot. Basically creating the globe as we know it today. It looked a lot different back then. Basically, the theory is at this point that in that time period, 12,000 years ago, we came into the path, the orbit of this comet debris. We do it every year anyways. We have so many asteroids and meteorites and little stuff that end up close to us that we just don't know about. 
or it's not talked about, or it already happened, and then like, yeah, by the way, a week ago, we just had a meteor come closer to Earth than the moon, but we're good, no one knew, whatever, shit happens, and that at this time, the Earth was probably bombarded with hundreds of meteors, not all of them necessarily super big, not all of them necessarily hitting the Earth, but the main thing they do think is if there was one or two main ones, that they think the majority of them that actually collided with Earth because there's no evidence of anything 12,000 years ago, any impacts, is that they hit the ice ice caps, the northern ice caps in North America. So the ice caps took the blunt of the force, not actually leaving any geological impact damage. But between it hitting the ice packs and air bursts where the meteor basically blows up in the upper atmosphere from running into the air and having the pressure basically creating small neutron or neutron what basically all these being the equivalent to um hydrogen bombs and i mean imagine that a fuck ton of hydrogen bombs blowing up above these ice caps and around the world would have caused catastrophic damage but then because of these these bombardments, obviously it's going to be ridiculously hot. These stones are going to come in. They're going to fuck up these ice caps. They hit the ice caps. These ice caps are going to then melt and break up and cause massive flooding over in Washington on the eastern side of Washington State nowadays is where there's evidence of this happening. And then after that, within weeks the global temperature dropping dramatically because of all the dust and debris that ends up in the atmosphere, causing a thousand years of extreme cooling until finally temperatures swing back in on itself almost a thousand years later. Temperatures rise, the ice cap melts, or, uh, yeah, the ice caps melt farther back, basically ending the ice age and continuously flooding again and causing global ocean levels to rise 400 feet to where they are today. Basically leaving not much evidence of possible other human civilizations because probably the majority of them would have been built on coastlines just like we do the same thing today. And 400 feet of water would make an, a, an extreme difference to where these houses could have been, causing most of this ancient civilization to basically be wiped out and killed with some survivors then going around the world finding smaller uh, hunter-gatherer groups and places and teaching them the knowledge they know, which basically planted the seed for ancient civilizations and then what became today. And it's very interesting, the, the whole hypothesis, it's fascinating to me because I'm a nerd, I love history and shit like this, but it also makes sense with his statement being that he thinks that some of the reasons why people don't necessarily want to study this and make this mainstream information uh, is partially because that people today are super arrogant and think that we were probably the or we are the height of civilization. And I think we could be, but I do think that there's possibly something lost in history that we don't know and that there was a civilization far beyond what we believed for the time and got lost to history 
And I can't wait in my life to actually possibly go visit some of these these uh, ancient buildings and structures because I find it fascinating. I want to go to Machu Picchu. I want to go to uh, the Great Pyramid Cholula. I want to go to... Uh, I, I don't know. I want to go to all of them. I want to go to a lot of these places because I find it so fascinating in ancient history. But if I was you... I would definitely check out that ep- uh, that episode, that series. It's fascinating. It'll kind of change your mind. It well, it might change your mind. I don't know. Maybe you already know about this shit. But it's, it's just it's very interesting. It is kind of nerdy, but it's a it's an eight part series. It's nothing crazy. You can dip your toe in and learn some stuff. But I find ancient history and shit like that so fascinating, and especially one of the things he talked about, which is so cool. I don't know who knows about the old movie Atlantis, um, the Disney movie back in the, was it late 90s, 2000s? I don't remember when the movie came out. Um, I love the idea of Atlantis and in Plato's, um, in Plato's story of Atlantis, the best known account of Atlantis, he was, his, what was it? His, his, family member of some sort traveled to Egypt and talked to some of the ancient priests in Egypt and they talked about this ancient civilization and society that had amazing technologies known as Atlantis and that they were wiped out and basically ended up under the ocean 9,000 years ago 9,000 years ago for Plato's time that would then equip to be 12,500 years ago right during the young Andreas so it's there's there's so much shit that kind of lines up with it it is kind of fascinating and to me I'm just like whoa this shit's cool like I I'm I'm super nerdy (laughs) and I guess it is what it is on that one but uh speaking of I guess uh, (laughs) uh cat catastrophe and death yes theory went to africa they're doing a stint in africa i don't know how many videos they're creating but they were in ghana they went and witnessed and was a part of ghana ghanian ghani i don't know what how, uh, hmm. real quick guys i just want to take your attention just for a minute one minute I just want to remind you, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and click that bell icon so you're notified when new videos come out. Be sure to leave a comment, like the video, check me out on all other platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all others. But be sure to subscribe. Now let's get back into the podcast. I don't know how you'd say it. Uh, Okay, so they went to Ghana to basically be a part of funerals doesn't necessarily sound like fun but ghana is known to have the happiest funeral celebrations in the world the three-day event one night of sorrow and uh basically saying goodbye and the the one like sad night but there's still a lot of singing and dancing another night is or the next day is basically a festival as you take the body to the cemetery and I think bury them and 
and actually have the funeral itself. And then the third day is basically a celebration of that person's life. So it's just a party. And the amount of people that showed up that had no clue who the person died was, the amount of dancing, the joy, the the atmosphere of it, it, w- it was very beautiful. I, w- I was so... I was so shocked and it kind of made me sad because of how obviously death is rough and it is very sad to mourn and then deal with someone's passing. But I, I hate that Western society kind of shoves death to a corner and hides it. And I, and it's like, it's not a fun topic. I understand that no one wants to necessarily be, be reminded about death. But at the same time, it's something we all got to deal with. And I think that the way they they handled it was so beautiful that it allowed people to probably heal way better than than we do in America and how we deal with grief. It, it seemed way healthier. And honestly, I've already told my sister that I don't want a regular funeral. I said this years ago. I want a celebration of life. I don't want it to be depressing and sad and gloomy and boring. I want it to be something joyous any way you can make it. Like I don't I don't know, put a damn bouncy castle at my my funeral. I don't give a shit. Like so, just something to to not necessarily be out of sadness. Obviously people are going to feel sadness, but more of like joy storytelling uh grateful for the times me and whoever had shit shit along those lines because in remembrance and it's just like i i haven't been to too many funerals but it's so it's such a downer i mean i guess it is a funeral so as expected but it's still just like what the fuck it's it's just it's not it's not fun and it's very depressing and i feel like Western society handles it weirdly compared to other cultures. And and they probably look at us and they're like, you guys are fucking up. <laughs> so it, it was very interesting to see a different cultural perspective on death. They make custom caskets. I was impressed with that. Like, imagine before you die, you tell them, or maybe you have a job. I'm an architect, so they make... They make your your casket look like a, a a steel beam, an eye beam. I don't know, or the one that they showed. Like they create these custom caskets. One woman wanted to be buried in a giant Bible, so they made it look like a Bible. One was a giant tuna because she was a a tuna fisherman, fisherwoman, I think. But it's like that's way cooler than the shit we have and our caskets probably cost four to five th- times the amount that those guys are paying for them i want a cool custom casket fucking paint me up sign your name on it do some crazy shit make it out of glass make it see-through so you can look at me all the time because you're gonna want to do that just something it, i just love how they it's there's such a different atmosphere with it and i found that fascinating Speaking of YouTube, Colin and Samir finally, they've talked about this now for two months, released a video, basically a documentary, 24 Hours with Mr. Beast. 
I think is the title. Basically, docu- documenting, documenting. Yeah, sure. That they recorded and uh, documented. Mm, that's the word. Th- his whole situation in the day of when they opened Mr. Beast Burger, the physical location, and the American Dream Mall in New Jersey. It was ridiculous. It broke headlines. It was absolutely crazy. Almost 20,000 people showed up to the the mall. Basically, people wanting to get pictures, buy burgers, hoping to win money, wanting to see Mr. Beast. It ended up being basically one of the largest fan meetups in the world, which was crazy. They about shut them all down. And they basically were able to follow around Mr. Beast, see the uh, insides of the operations, and kind of put this behind-the-scenes story to everything that happened that day. It was, one, a great documentary filmed and put together well, and I want to see them do more content like this. I like stuff like this. I, I I do love what they do. I love their interviews. I love everything else they do. But this was just something different to see them basically get on the inside of something that no one else had it's like you saw all the outside stuff you saw the clips you saw all these people you didn't see what they were dealing with behind closed doors at one point uh the day before mr beast was basically saying like knowing that this is going to be chaotic trying to figure out what they're going to do basically calm before the storm because they know this is going to be ridiculous and his main concern was wanting to make sure everybody left happy. And he wanted everyone to have a good time. That was his biggest concern. That in itself is amazing. Not only that, but the amount of people that showed up was bonkers. I think they sold, within their first day, in one day, they sold over 6,212 burgers, I believe is the number, which is the new record blowing out of the water by... Like three times as many as the last, which in itself is crazy. But one, he built not only a, a, a restaurant, but he ended up building a merch shop. He built all this other other stuff to almost make it like a, a Mr. Beast land, kind of like a Disneyland where it has all of his his products, all of his uh, all of his other items, clothing, uh, videos of like clips of old like his videos all this other stuff basically all oriented around mr beast which was crazy because it's not necessarily a regular restaurant too so that that makes it very interesting but not only that dealing with the stress you saw the stress that he was dealing with during this day because he wanted to make sure everybody enjoyed it and trying to get through twenty thousand people by the end of the day, he took pictures with over 10,000 people. And part of the thing he wanted was he wanted people to leave happy, but people weren't leaving. So they were trying to have to find things that they wanted to do. People wanted to take pictures. People wanted something to remember. So at one point, they set up different stations. They had people and workers get groups of people together so he can come in, take a big group photo, and then move to another group of 10 to 15 people. And they moved to another group of 10 or 15 people and slowly work through people so they would leave the mall. 
because it was clogging situations. It was a, a safety hazard. They wanted to do a live stream uh, in-person video of like a last to leave the circle, which they've done in the past. But because there's so many people and there was such a large crowd and people were on like near the stage and stuff, it was a fire hazard. They had to shut it down, gave everyone that was involved $10,000 because I think the winner was supposed to get like 50 gave everyone involved $10,000 because they had to call it early and told everybody that they had to disperse and dealing with such a crazy amount of people trying to keep this running as smoothly as possible, a line that wrapped through this entire mall, people that waited for over 24 hours to get in there. It was crazy to see all this behind the scenes situation. And and the amount of stress he was dealing with, but also when he what he wanted to provide for his fans. At one point, I think he was on the phone with Eric. He was on the phone with Logan Paul. Uh, Tommy Innit showed up. It was it was it was very very cool to see, and I was also very impressed that they did this because they only had a three day notice before going to New Jersey to do this. That in itself is a lot, and uh they decided to go for it and then they it took two months to get it edited down to what they wanted because i mean it was a lot of footage it was a lot of b-roll there was a lot going on and trying to use what they had to the best of their ability to create a great video i think they did amazing i think it was edited amazing i think the story was awesome seeing the inside of mr beast and the stuff he was trying to deal with and go through that day was also super cool to see I was just super impressed all the way around between both the content itself and the um, substance in the content. So it, it was really cool. I hope they do more YouTube documentary type stuff. It, it's, it's really cool to see that extra stuff that you don't see on YouTube half the time. Kind of like, uh, kind of like, um, Yes Theory's uh, Lost Pyramid like documentary. That's really cool. And Colin and Samir helped with that. And so it's it's cool to see longer form documentary style videos sometimes in certain situations because you get so much more in-depth complex stuff that you can't necessarily get from a 10-minute video. And I think that's also one reason why I like podcasts because – in a conversation in these scenarios where you might be talking to someone or someone's doing something, it might be an hour to three hour conversation, depending on the podcast, you can really get into some deep stuff, real conversations. You can be genuine. You can really see someone's personality and intent that you can't really get out of a five to 10 minute video. And I think that's why like the Mr. Beast podcasts that he's been on do so well because Mr. Beast in himself has not necessarily been in the public eye in the sense of long form content just having conversations really being able to dig into his brain and because most of his videos are 10 to maybe 20 minutes max and it's just it's not focused on him it's not focused on his personality necessarily and certain situations are some videos that are more focused on him. But you don't get to necessarily know him as in-depthly 
as you do in these podcasts. And I think that's one reason why some people are so attracted to it to really see the inside of someone's personality that you don't necessarily see in the short firm version of life on YouTube or on Instagram or on uh, TikTok. So it's it's very interesting. I thought it was fascinating. Congratulations for Colin and Samir and the success of this. I think they said within the first 24 hours, it had half a million views. I know it's going to be more at this point, and I hope it does really well for them, and I hope they can do more later. Not only that, but this week, I was able to read a book that I've heard about, heard about and I've been interested to read now for quite some time, and it was called The Top 5 Regrets of the Dying. So I'm basically going to do a summary. It's it was such a it was such a fascinating book. Basically there there's the top 5 regrets of the dying. The whole story is written in the perspective of someone the author obviously, but <laughs> I'm not good at this. The she at one point became an in-house nurse, 24-hour nurse, 24-hour care, not even necessarily 24 hours, but she was a home nurse at times that this wasn't her initial job. She did some other stuff. She was kind of a nomad. She traveled. She went around the world. This just happened to be an industry she ended up in it and ended up in accidentally. And so she ended up caring for these elderly people basically until they passed away. To me, I would find that to be a slightly traumatic job getting to know these people, having these conversations, living with them, caring with them for days on end. Basically, that's that's what she did. She lived and became, in certain situations, probably some of these people's best friends, at least to their near death. And she got to pick their brain because at times there's not much else you can do besides have conversations and learn. And... She learned about so many different people's lives, saw their perspectives, dealt with so many different scenarios that she would have never have guessed she would have ended up in. And I think it ended up changing her life, but it also, down the road, ended up changing many after she wrote the article about it and then created this book. So... Regret number one, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not a life others expected of me. An amazing story from some of the people she she took care of and the sense of just realizing that their situation, their past, they ended up not being able to do what they wanted. And they wasted time living in a situation where they were worried about other people's expectations and didn't take that leap. And I think the scenario that she first heard this from was from a woman that regretted not necessarily divorcing her husband because in their generation it was looked looked upon as very negative for a divorce. And her husband had basically ruined her life to an extent and even her kids agreed and she finally got freedom when he ended up in a nursing home sadly shortly after he was in the nursing home when she was alone and wanted some freedom 
and was going to try to travel and do some of the stuff she's always wanted to do. She got diagnosed with lung cancer. She didn't smoke. Her husband loved to smoke in the house. So it basically had the consequence of taking her life and taking away that freedom she had always wanted. And she regretted not taking that jump to do what she truly found was her true calling in her heart instead of falling into what people expected of her. Regret number two, I wish I didn't work so hard. This one, pretty self-explanatory. This was from a man that she took care of that decided that he wanted to focus on his career. He wanted to focus on basically status. And in all reality, it took away from his chance to spend time with his wife. His wife wanted him to retire in his scenario, and she begged him for years, and he kept pushing it off until finally he was like, next year, I'll finally retire. You really want to do this. I'm sorry I've put you off so long. And sadly, she ended up terminally ill and passing away shortly after. And he technically didn't retire until it was to take care of his wife being the catalyst. And sadly, most of his retirement was spent alone after his wife had passed away. And he regretted that he focused on his work, not even necessarily for the money, but for the status and the way it made him feel instead of focusing on his real life and his family and his wife. And he regretted not doing that because he never was able to spend the time and gave his wife what she truly wanted to do with her husband at such as they age together. And he regretted not doing that and just falling into line with work. Regret number three. I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. I think... If I remember correctly, the reason this was brought up in the book was from someone that hadn't necessarily shown their true colors and their feelings towards their kids. and Their kids never fully understand who their father was, uh, and he regretted not necessarily allowing them in to him as a person. And... It was very sad because she had encouraged him at the time to sit down and talk to his children and really tell him, tell them how he felt. But in his eyes, it was just too late. And it, there was no point to, to make those changes now because he's so close to death. And sadly, that was one of his biggest regrets was just never expressing his true feelings to his children and letting them understand how he they truly like what they truly meant to him and how proud he was and and how much he loved them and certain situations it, some of these stories were extremely sad i can't deny that some of these were almost for, for some people definitely would have been tear jerkers but some of the stories it, it did it did hit me in the heartstrings 100 percent, and it was it was a very very sad story uh regret number four was I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. So this one was of an elderly woman that ended up in a nursing home. And she regretted not staying in touch with her friends because 
of letting life get in the way and losing contact with people that truly knew who she was instead dealing with people that don't totally know her real personality and who she truly is i think for the most part i do okay on this i don't necessarily have a lot of friends to stay in contact with but i try my best and i completely understand this woman's uh reasoning behind this because i think staying in touch with friends and family someone that truly knows who you are someone you spend a lot of time with loyalty it's very important to surround yourself with loving friends and family especially as you age and and in times of need and death is definitely one of those times and then last but not least regret number five was i wish that i had i had let myself be happier some of this was from a story of a woman that never truly let herself be happy and part of that was because of the expectation that she was not good enough and that she was a disappointment to her own family and so she had always regretted felt like she had to work harder and didn't understand why other people could be happy when in all reality to an extent happiness is a thought and a feeling the uh, happiness at one point is a perspective in your scenario and that you can make yourself happier physically and mentally just by changing the way you look at things and your thoughts themselves and that you should allow yourself to be happy and be grateful and live in the moment not necessarily be so hard on yourself and tear yourself down all the time sometimes it is nice to give yourself a little tough love and push yourself but at the same time you should be very open to yourself, let alone other people, and be happy and really enjoy life while you have it. It was an amazing book, and I do recommend it to basically anyone, the breakdown and the stories. It really gives you an amazing connection, but I think these five lessons could possibly change someone's aspects on life, and especially if you really, really understand them and get into it, it can change how you live your life to hopefully that you don't have regrets when you uh get older so it was it was an awesome book and i recommend anyone to read it so for me this book was it was interesting i've heard about it i've heard certain studies of i've uh, on stuff like this where elderly people were asked stuff like uh these scenarios on what they regretted i think that is probably one of my worst fears is to die regretting things I feel like you're going to regret something, but I don't know if it's going to be a regret necessarily. I think it's going to be like, I, I just wish I had done something sooner or done certain stuff. Not necessarily in the sense of like, my life was a mistake. I think I'll die content, but I just wish that there might've been certain situations I would done or something. And I feel like everyone has that at one point or another, but these, these stories were, were very interesting in the sense of uh, I feel like this is something that's taught and talked about a lot more in today's society with younger people. And I find it very, very true in the sense of that people don't want to live in regret. And I think that in all these scenarios, I feel like I do pretty well. I don't, I don't want to work too hard because I don't want my life to just be my work. I don't, I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to work hard in certain scenarios, but I don't necessarily want to work for someone else the rest of my life. And work isn't everything. Money isn't everything. 
And I think that's something that most people nowadays need to learn. Not only that, but having the courage to live life how I want it and not necessarily live a life that's expected of me. I I know I've done that. I know there's stuff that people thought that I should have done. I know I have family that thought I should have went to college. Uh, I know I know that the people uh, in, around me think that the shit I do probably isn't the right idea or it's not it's not what I should be doing in their eyes to me I'm just doing what I want and I feel like that's any right someone has not to necessarily live with the weight on their shoulders of expectation from friends family or whoever and that you should live true to yourself not only that but the courage to express your feelings I've had these issues in the past me and Noah have had these issues uh, my best friend and it's and it, it does cause more issues when you do hold in your feelings and shove them down into a dark place because when they do erupt it ends up causing so much more pain for you and whoever might be involved and if you would just express your feelings sooner and have the courage to do so nothing would ever get as bad as it does and and make sure that you have no regrets in the sense that everyone's on the same page because also you don't know when you're gonna die we could die any day now there could be a shit we could have a meteor hit earth let alone of people dying from ridiculous causes so you don't want to you shouldn't want to live and end up with regrets like this where it's like you if you don't express your feelings you could die and someone could never know how you truly felt about them and how much you truly loved them and appreciated them and I think that that's something where I've always been a very open person where me and Noah always say that we love each other when we get off the phone with each other we've done that now for two years at least and part of that is is just being around each other and being as close as we are but it it's you really do need to show your appreciation for people you care about because you never know what might happen to either of you staying touch and friends with friends i try to do that i don't necessarily have a lot of friends so it kind of makes it a little easier on me the numbers aren't super high to keep in contact with because if anything some of my high school friends should read that look at it in their own eyes because I got cut out by a lot of my high school friends. There's people I graduated with that I hung out with every day, talked to all the time that I have not seen or talked to in two years because I've reached out and I've never heard anything back from them. And does it hurt? hundred percent. It hurts. It doesn't hurt me as now anymore because it's been so long, but it's like, it's still kind of like what, did I do to deserve this? And I like I thought we had a true friendship. I guess I thought wrong. It is what it is. I do hope that I see some of those guys later on in life, either at high school reunions or in general, because I'd love to get in contact with them. But it's just life does move on and you got to roll with the punches. And then not only that, but like letting yourself be happier. Well, I 100% I feel like happiness is a perspective. 
part of it is you have to have gratitude for what you have. Every day you have to be grateful. And this kind of works for the month of Thanksgiving. But you need to be grateful for what you have. And someone has it worse. There's someone around the world that is going to listen to... You might think that you're in the worst situation ever, but there is someone around the world that is dealing with shit way worse than you could ever imagine. And they would 100% decide to switch lives with you because you think your life is hard or you've had it rough. And people are dealing with death, uh, being in prison, some something crazy. They would swap lives with you in an instant because their lives are so much worse you don't know the experiences and places people have had you don't know the hurt people have been through so it's hard to necessarily know so it's like you got to be grateful for what you have because it could be worse and it's probably not as bad as you truly think it is half the time happiness is a is a mindset happiness is perspective positive mindset is a fact and being able to change your perspective on your situation and be grateful for what you have instead of complaining and looking down on everything you have can have a major impact on your overall emotional well-being. And I think that's something nowadays a lot of people need to hear. And it's something that I think a lot of people need to try living by. But it was a fascinating book. And I'm probably definitely going to reread this eventually in my life. And I hope other people do too because I think I think it has many life lessons that can be taught and learned from but ah, I think that's the end of today I do appreciate you guys next week is Thanksgiving and I hope you guys have fun I will talk to you guys all next week I hope you enjoyed go check out that Netflix 